praise the living Jesus. Hallelujah. If we could all just rise up to our feet really quick. It's so good to see everybody here this morning. And for those of you joining us online, welcome to church service. Welcome to Fountain of the Living World Church this morning. We're just going to pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for another opportunity to be gathered here as one to worship you, to listen to you, to hear from you. Father, we ask and we just pray that as you have brought us here, you will give us a heart to worship. You will give us a heart to listen and you will allow this word to take root in our hearts. Let it be an anchor for our lives. Let today be a time of change, a time for transformation in the lives of people. And for those watching us online, let this message not just go by them. Let it sow a seed and deposit into their hearts that everybody will be able to benefit from today. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, church. Let's just continue um, to worship the Lord. Let's continue in the attitude of worship. Father, we give you praise this morning. We've come just to say thank you for who you are, for what you have done for us. I am that I am. We say thank you. King of kings, we say thank you to you this morning. I come before you today. And there's just one thing that I want to say. We'll say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For all you've given to us. Since that I cannot see, I thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Everybody with a grateful heart, with a grateful heart, with songs of praise, with a song of praise, with an outstretched arm. Thank you, Lord. 
sing a song it says I am a winner in this world no matter what comes my way hallelujah we are in the midst of pandemic but we are still winners because yes. the Bible says that we are more than conquerors hallelujah I am a winner in this world no matter what comes my way I am a winner in 
this world No matter what comes my way I cannot fear I will never fall For Jesus lives in me I am a winner in this world No matter what comes my way I'm a
but you have always been with us. That's why your name is I am. I am. I am. Even when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, I am is with you. You know, one thing God taught me recently is that He says, you know, we said that God is the light at the end of the tunnel. He says, no, God is not the light at the end of the tunnel, but He's the light that sees you out of the tunnel. Because without the light, you might not find your way out of the tunnel. So as we go through this pandemic, God is a light guiding us. As you go through your life, He's a light. He doesn't just wait for you to, to succeed and then He shows up. No. He walks you through the journey of life. Hallelujah. So Father, we give you praise for you are I am that I am. There's no atom of variableness in you, and we give you praise. We give you praise in Jesus' name. May we see that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, man, today is, is a day of rejoicing. Um, there's, there's strongholds that are going to be broken today. Strongholds. And if you were paying attention to the, to the praise and worship, man, if you were paying attention to praise and worship, you would realize that there was a song he sang, Hallelujah, I have overcome more than a conqueror. Why? Why? Because Jesus reigns. And that is kind of what we're going to go into. And by the end of today, if you're sitting here and you're being tormented by anxiety, worry, fear, you're going to experience freedom. Amen. Um, the topic for today is Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones. Not the perverted TV show, the actual Game of Thrones that is happening in the real world. First of all, I just want to say that, um, you see, anxiety, fear, worry, it's all dependent on the level of self-control that you have. Your, the, the frequency to which you experience anxiety depends on the level of self-control that you have. The frequency, the extent to which you can exert self-control depends on the level of knowledge of God or awareness of what God is doing in the moment that you have. The level of that knowledge depends on the level of virtue good morals, good works that are being produced in your life. And the level of these good works that are being produced in your life is directly dependent on your faith in God. Your faith in the finished work of God. This spirit that he put in you. Your dependency on that spirit. Let's go to Second Peter 1, 5-7. I'm going to just touch on how this relates to anxiety, and then we'll get into the meat of the subject. So it says, 
For this reason, adding your diligence to the divine promises, employ every effort in exercising your faith to develop what? Virtue, excellence, resolution, Christian energy, good morals, good works, not stealing, not lying. It's a product of faith. When you exercise your faith, you develop virtue. And then it says, and in exercising virtue, you develop what? Knowledge. The level to which you will know God and be aware of what he is doing in the moment is dependent on your experience of this virtue. If you're out here living in sin, it's going to severely cripple your ability to discern what God is saying. And it will severely cripple your awareness of what God is doing in the moment. But again, it's not a call for you to go and live a better life. Remember I said it's a product of faith. And in exercising and developing this knowledge, next verse, you develop self-control. Knowing what God is doing in the moment, knowing what God has says, significantly enhances your ability to control yourself. To not panic during adversity. And then, the extent to which you can exercise self-control affects the extent to which you'll be able to persevere during adversity. Without self-control, you won't persevere during adversity. You'll give up quickly. The extent to which you can persevere directly affects godliness in your life. Godliness is just your overall experience of the godly life, of godlike life, the overcoming in situations. But the practical example that God put in my spirit was total surrender to him. That is the practical, in practice, godliness is how submitted you are to God. Your ability to persevere directly affects your, the extent to which you will be submitted to God. The extent to which you are submitted to God directly affects brotherly love, love for your brother and sister in Christ. It says, godliness, you develop brotherly affection. And in exercising brotherly affection, you develop love. The extent to which you can love your brother and sister in Christ directly affects the extent to which you can love everyone. You're not going to love some random guy in Somalia when you can't love your fellow Christian. You see how these things are building blocks for each other. But I'm not here to talk about all this. In the future, God permitting, there's already a whole sermon titled Eight Gates. That should sound familiar to some of you. Um, where my Naruto fans, I mean, Passion of the Christ fans are. Um, we'll get into that sometime later. But today we're going to focus on self-control and the things preceding it. Amen? You see, I look in this room and I see a bunch of beautiful faces. Handsome men, beautiful women, good-looking kids. But I also see a bunch of thrones. I see a throne there, a throne next to that throne, a throne there, 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 throne everywhere, sitting all over this place. And this throne is the throne in your mind. 
Your mind is that throne. Whoever sits on that throne commands your life, will dictate your actions. This throne, your mind, it's called your mind. Whoever reigns in that throne will dictate your actions and command your destiny. This is why we got to bring our A game when it comes to this game of thrones. Amen? Hallelujah. I have overcome. More than a conqueror. But what's the clause? But where do you think he's going to reign from? From heaven? Where do you think he's going to reign from? From within you. Is he reigning? Um, there is a war for that throne. A constant battle. A constant battle that will not end till the day you breathe your last breath for that throne. Because I already told you the value of the throne. Whoever sits on that throne commands your life. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 17. It says, For the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Holy Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh. Godless human nature. For these are antagonistic to each other, continually withstanding and in conflict with each other, so that you are not free, but are prevented from doing what you desire. There's a war. Who are the participants of this war? You have the spirit. You have your flesh. And this war, you see, it says these two, these two parties, they are completely contradictory to each other. The spirit wants to rule on the throne of your mind. The flesh also wants to rule on the throne of your mind. Along with the flesh, you can just group the devil and all his, his people. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 to 16. But God now unveils these profound realities to us by the Spirit. Yes, he has revealed to us his inmost heart and deepest mysteries through the Holy Spirit, who constantly explores all things. Keep going. After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? Why did I bring this scripture up? This is to show you the importance of that spirit that God put in you. You see, who can know your thoughts? Who can know your heart except the spirit that is in you? Now, the Holy Spirit, this spirit is in God. This spirit knows the mind of God, knows what God is thinking, knows his thoughts, his will, his desires. And then God took that same spirit and put it in you. But that spirit didn't leave God. So that spirit is simultaneously in God and at the same time in who? In you. Guess what, what that makes you, what that gives you access to? It gives you access to the mind of God. 
You have direct access to the mind of God. You can know the thoughts, the desires, the will of God for yourself. This is not like the old spirit man that was breathed into Adam, that was breathed out of God into man. That spirit didn't know the mind of God. This spirit knows the mind of God because it didn't leave God. It's in God and simultaneously in you. Praise the Lord. This is the reason why you want this spirit to be the one sitting on the throne of your mind. We'll just jump to uh, Romans 12 too. Actually, sorry, that first Corinthians 2, let's read verse 16. It says, who has intimately known the mind of the Lord Yahweh well enough to become his counselor? Christ has. And we possess Christ's perceptions. How do we possess it? Because we have his spirit in us. Because we have his spirit in us. His perceptions, his thoughts, his will, his desires, what he's doing in the moment is shown to you by that spirit. If that spirit is the one sitting on the throne of your mind. Let's go to Romans 12 too. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions and the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through the total reformation of how you think. It said, this will empower you to discern. Discern meaning recognize God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Discern, meaning recognize, which means a bunch of thoughts are going to be coming and you'll be able to discern which one is coming from the mind of God. But for that to happen, it said your thoughts have to change, right? Is that what it said? That's not what it said. It's not your thoughts that change. The way you think, that is a lot deeper. Because for the way you think to change, you have to think right long enough. You have to think differently long enough for the way you think to actually change. Thinking a good thought once in a while doesn't change the way you think. You have to do it long enough, consistently enough, that the way you generally think actually begins to take shape. So there's consistency to this. It's a lifestyle. It's something you have to do over and over and over and over and over. Not just when you're in adversity that you pull up the word of God and start trying to think right. The way you think has to change. You see, if all of us started talking, I'm pretty sure like my family would know my voice because they know what my voice sounds like. We don't know what God's voice sounds like. I don't know. It could be deep. It could be high-pitched. I don't know. It could sound airy. I don't know. It could sound thunderous. But I know what God is saying because I know what he has said and I know what he's likely to say and I understand the way he thinks. So let me give you an obvious one. So if, if you come and tell me God said for you to kill someone, I'll be like, nah, 
I don't sound like God. You get it? You, you have, it is completely dependent on understanding the way God thinks. Knowing his mind, which is completely dependent on that spirit. You're not going to get this information and this knowledge from anywhere else. That throne, who is sitting on that throne? Look, I already told you the spirit, the flesh, the devil, they're all trying to sit on that throne because whoever sits there commands your life. And when something wants to sit on that throne, thoughts, thoughts are attempts to sit on the throne of your mind, of your mind. When you're chilling, eating grilled chicken, and you, suddenly the thought comes in that you have cancer, that's an attempt. Something is trying to sit on the throne of your mind. Which is why you don't play games with thoughts. You don't play games with it. Thoughts don't just manufacture out of thin air. It's coming from things, from people. Not, peop- not just people, from demons, from spirits, from the devil. And also from the spirit of God. It's coming from everywhere. It's coming from where? From everywhere. Let's look at John 13 too. It was during supper. Satan having already put the thought of betraying Jesus in the heart of who? Of Judas. He already put it there. He already suggested to him. How don't you betray this dude man? He already put it to him. Satan didn't force him. He just put the thought. He suggested it to him. Now let's go to John 13, verse 21. It says, Then Jesus was moved deeply in spirit, looking at his disciples. He announced, I tell you the truth, one of you is about to betray me. Next verse. Eyeing each other, his disciples puzzled over which one of them could do such a thing. The disciple that Jesus dearly loved was at the right of him at the table and was leaning his head on Jesus. Peter gestured to this disciple to ask Jesus who it was he was referring to. Then the dearly loved disciple leaned into Jesus' chest and whispered, Master, who is it? The one I give this piece of bread to. After I've dipped it in a bowl, Jesus replied, then he dipped the piece of bread into the bowl and handed it to Judas. Next verse. And then Judas ate the piece of bread and what happened? What happened? Satan Satan sat on that throne. Satan did what? Sat on that throne. When the thought was planted, Satan was not the one in charge. He hadn't entered he, he was merely knocking. He was sending thoughts because thoughts are attempts to sit on that throne. But eventually what happened? He entered. And then next verse. None of those around the table realized what was happening. Next verse. Some thought that Judas, they are, actually go to the next verse. So Judas left quickly and went out into the dark into the dark night to betray Jesus. He had lost control. That was it. I think some versions say, that's which you are going to do, just do it. At this point, it's too late. The person on the throne has already, somebody has already come on that throne. You have no choice but to do what he dictates. 
thoughts are dangerous if you're not constantly fighting this game of thrones the right way. Praise the Lord. You see, having a godly reaction during adversity, during hard times, it depends heavily. It depends heavily on your perception, your knowledge, your understanding of what God is doing. Heavily. It's good to know that God loves you. It's great. Awesome. But I'm telling you, that in of itself is not enough. It's not enough. You have to be able to perceive what God is doing. That is the only thing that will keep you calm and in control of yourself. Amen? Let's look at uh, Acts 27, 20 to 24. This is an example with Paul. And it says, after many days of sin, neither the sun nor the stars, and with the violent storm continuing to rage against us, all hope of ever getting through it alive was abandoned. After being without food for a long time, Paul stepped before them all and said, men, you should have obeyed me and avoided all this pain and suffering by not leaving Crete. Now listen to me, don't be depressed, for no one will perish only the sheep will be lost. We can end it there. You think this kind of calm comes from just, man, you just have an awesome personality. No, this kind of calm comes only because you have a word from God. This kind of calm comes only because you understand something. You know something. What is going on? What is really going on? And then... You become a conduit through which hope flows to people who feel hopeless. Remember I said, what the Bible said, self-control is heavily dependent on what, what preceded it, knowledge. Knowledge, the extent to which you know or can perceive what God is doing, what he has said, is the extent to which you'll be able to control yourself. Praise the Lord. Let's look at uh, Jesus. John 12, 27. It says, now my soul is troubled. My soul, meaning my mind, is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. And the next verse says, receive glory to your name. And God replied, I have and I will again. You see what he said? Leave the verse up. He said, my soul is troubled. You see... There's a scripture I I skipped, but I'm going to just recite it. God has given you a spirit of sound mind, not a spirit of timidity and fear, but a spirit of sound mind, meaning self-control, self-discipline. Jesus had this spirit, yet his mind was troubled. You see, sound mind is not the absence of a troubled mind. Sound mind is not the absence of anxiety or fear. Sound mind is just the inability for that fear to dominate you. Sound mind is the inability for anxiety to control you. It is the inability of that thing to alter the course that the knowledge of God has set you on. Praise the Lord. 
Just because you have a spirit of summer, it doesn't mean anxiety won't come. Jesus was able to overcome this moment of intense anxiety. Intense anxiety because he knew this is the reason why I came. Shut it down. He was able to control himself. Can you imagine if Jesus walked this earth and didn't know he was supposed to die? Just picture it for a second. What if Jesus came to earth thinking that God sent him here on vacation and didn't know that he was supposed to die? And then Judas is out here betraying him, people trying to kill him everywhere he goes. He will constantly be praying the prayer that we pray all the time. God, what is going on? What, how, how frequently do we ask God that question? What is going on? Do you know why you ask it? Do you want to know why you ask it? Because you're losing control. You ask it because you feel yourself losing control. And the reason why you're losing control is because you don't know what is going on. This thing would have overthrown Jesus if he didn't know his purpose. Knowledge. Knowledge. It guards you. It helps you control yourself. It helps you overcome anxiety. Anxiety won't dominate you. Amen? Let's look at one more example with David, and then we'll look at the greatest example of all. Um... Let's go to 2 Samuel 12, 9 to 14. Now it says, Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. A lot of you are familiar with this story, so I won't bother explaining it. Uh, you can read the whole chapter if you want more details. Now, therefore, verse 10, the sword shall never depart from your house, giving him knowledge, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Next verse. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your, with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I would do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. Giving him knowledge. Now let's go to uh, chapter 12, verse 18. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child, sorry, I skipped the verse where he told him that his child would die. Um, just in the interest of time. But it came to pass on the seventh day, the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? Next verse. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to the servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Next verse. And David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord and did what? Worshipped. You think you can just go and worship God after your child dies without knowledge? Do you think you can pull that off without knowledge? Without the Holy Spirit reminding you of something? 
good luck with that endeavor. He was able to do this because God already told him. Even if God doesn't tell you that your child specifically will die, there is always something God has told you for that moment. There's always something God is saying for that moment. And if you can't know it, if you don't know it, you will have a completely different reaction, an ungodly reaction to that challenge. Let's go to uh, 2 Samuel 6, 20 to 22. David, uh, sorry, then Absalom said to the, to, man, I can't pronounce that name, give advice as to what we should do. And that guy said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep the house and all Israel will hear that you are aborn by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. Next verse. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on top of the house and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Exactly what God said will happen. You think David didn't hear about this? Do you, do you, do you think David didn't hear about this? Okay. Let's go to 17, 11 to 14. Therefore, I advise you that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan and Beersheba. Man, this guy, you know, I can't even read. This guy is trifling. Like, honestly, I'm just thinking like, God, if this was my actual son, ah, no, let me not, let me not profess something that is not, ah, God. Man, fully gathered from Dan, Beersheba, like the sun that is by the sea of the multitude, and that you go, in battle, go to battle in person. Next verse. So we will come up upon him, in some place where he may be found, and he will fall. We will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. The plan to kill David and all his men. Moreover, if he will, if he will, if he has withdrawn into a city. This is how intense this guy's hatred for David was. He said, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city and we will pull it into the river until there is not one small stone found there. We can end there with this verse. So not only have you gone and violated his concubines, you are taking the entire army of Israel to kill your father. Man, that if I ever do that to you, you have permission to... Honestly, you, you, you will still be a Christian. God will understand. Honestly. Now let's go to 2 Samuel 18.5. If you read from the beginning, you'll see that Hushai informed David of this plan. But look at David's reaction. Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai the Hittite, saying, deal gently for my sake with the young man. Absalom, a godly reaction, a godly reaction. Everything Absalom was doing did not move him. Why? Is it because David is some super, like, person? No. Knowledge. Knowledge. Knowledge tamed him. Because he was able to perceive what was going on, men, I sinned. This is a result of what I did. This guy, I bet if you looked in David's eye, he felt compassion for Absalom. That Absalom is suffering, is doing all these things as a consequence of me. 
all this hatred he feels is because of me. So he was begging his soldiers to be gentle with him, not to kill him. A godly reaction. Knowledge, knowledge helps you have a godly reaction during adversity. Without the knowledge, look, if David never sinned and God never talked to him and Absalom just came out of nowhere and is doing all this crap, I'm pretty sure David would have beheaded him. Because if you read the story of David, David was not to be trifled with. He almost killed, what was that guy's name? Nabal, for not giving him food. He almost killed him. If not that the wife came in the way. He almost killed him. David was someone that you don't trifle with. But yet for this one guy, for this one guy, you saw him restrain his anger and himself. David had a temper problem. If you read about him, you saw him restrained. That anger was restrained. Because knowledge, knowledge. Remember what I read in the beginning. For you to exercise, the extent to which you can exercise self-control depends on the extent to which you know and can perceive what God is doing. Praise the Lord. You see, let me just give this example with me. I got a speeding ticket like three weeks ago. Um, so the day before I got it, my, my co-worker, one of my, not, not even my co-worker, just somebody that works in, in the building that I work in, um, pulled me to the side and was like, yo, you're the one who drives the, the red, you know, that car, <laughs> Mercedes-Benz. Um, and um, she was like, I saw you pulling out the, the drive, the parking lot, and you, you were going kind of fast. Um, just slow down. I don't want anything to happen to you. And immediately, I took it as God was warning me. I drove home. I went like 10 miles under the speed limit. I met, I was pissing people off on the road. I didn't care. God spoke to me. Be careful how you're driving. The next day, I completely forgot about the whole thing. Business as usual. Driving normally. I don't speed. This was, this was, don't judge me. I can feel the eyes just judging me. Um, the next day it was business as usual driving, driving back this cop African American lady pulled me over she was like you know why I pulled you over I was like yeah I was speeding and then she ran my distance did the usual gave me my ticket she was like um, she was lenient she reduced the fine a little bit I got my two points um, don't worry I did I did uh, I did defensive course to knock it off but um I got my two points. And then she said something to me. She said, hey, um, be careful. We are watching you. And when she said it, I heard God. Like, it's like she was talking, but I wasn't hearing her. It was like God was verbatim talking to me. And then what dropped in my spirit is he disciplines those he loves. I began to worship God. The whole day, I began to worship God. I was like, God, man, you love me enough to... Like, this woman could have probably been like at some barbecue, but you made her walk that day, positioned her in that spot just for me, just to discipline me. Who knows, maybe I would have run over a child and my, my mom would be writing apology notes on, on being on, on the news, local residents, Onyeka Emmanuel. And then I'll have to come to church and like sit downstairs or something for like a little bit. Who knows? But the fact that it dropped my spirit, he disciplines those he loves, I began to worship him. 
This was the first time that I was, happy. I was already happy before I got the ticket. I was much more joyful in getting a ticket than I was before I got it. Perception. Perceiving what God is doing. It changes your outlook. It helps you. You, you don't react in the natural. You have a godly reaction. You have a godly reaction. There's this guy that has nothing better to do called the devil. And I just, I just, this is very important. We need to be careful that we don't allow the devil, like Judas, reign on that throne of our mind. The devil's lies can have a stronghold on your mind. Can have a very, very severe stronghold on your mind, crippling you for years, for decades, just be crippled. You just be crippled. And when I say crippling you, I mean like it causes you, you don't even attempt to possess your possessions. Praise the Lord. You see, the thoughts you think, the thoughts you think, they reinforce that specific thought. They make your mind even more conducive for that thought to thrive. The thoughts you think makes your mind even more conducive for that thought to thrive. Because thoughts are attempts for a spirit to sit on the throne of your mind. The devil sends thoughts all the time. All the time. He will either send it through people from what they say or through their actions. Their actions, are the reason why they're acting that way, I know kind of mentioned this a little bit last week. The reason why they're acting that way is to prime your mind to accept the thoughts for when he comes to suggest it to you. So all of a sudden, somebody close to you starts acting weird, starts pissing you off. It's all meant to prime your mind so that when the devil now comes to talk to you, you're more accepting of that thought. This guy is tricky, man. This guy is tricky. I said it before, he's been doing this for a very long time. He got skills. Like, A for effort, honestly. A for skills. He's talented. What are some lies that the devil tells us? Says you're not good enough, morally speaking. Morally, you're not good enough. You believe this lie and you will find yourself easily giving in to immoral things. I'm bad, might as well. Cripples you. You don't even attempt to resist. Let's go to Mark 10, 18. This was just a scripture that dropped in my spirit to fight it. Jesus responded, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Whenever the devil comes to talk to me about being good, I'm like, so what? Not even Jesus was good. Only God is good. You are alone. You have no one and are noticed by no one. Or he tells you you're not loved. You believe this lie and you will find yourself pushing people away. You see, because when you accept a thought, it keeps you subjugated to the spirit behind that thought. 
Praise the Lord. So somebody who believes that they are alone will see everybody here. Go and sit down back there. Won't even say hi to anyone. And then the one that irks me is that you now get offended that somebody didn't say hi to you. Let's look at uh, Matthew 28, 20. And teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. There was one time during, during this, this a few days that the devil actually came to me and told me this lie. Told me you're alone. And I told him, no, I'm not. I was being snarky, to be honest. Thank God I've had a lot of practice with this thing. I was being snarky. He told me you're alone. I was like, no, I'm not. I was like, you're right here talking with me. If you really want me to be alone, you got to leave. And that was the end of it. Straight up, I told him, I'm not alone because you're right here talking with me. You're keeping me company. If you really, really want me to feel alone, you have to leave. Then I'll feel alone. And that was the end of the thought. Like the, the, the abruptness to which that thought never came back. This guy is tricky, man. Very tricky. This, this game for the throne of your mind has to be won. You have to win it. You don't play games with it. God is making me suffer because of something I did. You put up with a lot of unnecessary pain. You will not look for relief. Let's look at Hebrews 8.12. For I will demonstrate my mercy to them and forgive them of their evil deeds and never remember again their sins. God, God don't even remember what you did. Shut him down. Shut the thought down. You shut him down by shutting the thought down. Verbally. Shut him down. Talk to him. Oh, here's a good one. I'm broke. Oh, sorry, I skipped one. Uh, my significant order won't change. My, my bay will not change. They are just useless. They are who they are. You yourself will not change. You accept this lie, and you yourself will not change. You will remain oblivious to the things God needs to change in you to effect change in him or her. Dangerous. Let's look at Psalm 127, 1 to 2. Unless the Lord builds a house, they that labor build in vain. We can end it right there. It's not your job to change anyone. Mind your business. You're broke. You will find yourself spending money unwisely. If you believe you're broke, you will find yourself spending money unwisely. You will buy the latest shoe, PlayStation 5. You won't invest your money in a way that will make you money. You won't see the point of doing that. Cripples you. Cripples you. The one that really pisses me off the most. Like, honestly, if you're a Christian and you believe this, 
I don't even know like how you can call yourself a Christian. It's when people think that they are more good looking than me. <laughs> Is there hope for any man? There's no hope for you. We don't even need scriptures to dispute this. Like, you got to take control of your mind. You have to take that spirit of sound mind. You see, it's interesting that the Bible doesn't say God gave you sound mind. It said he gave you a spirit of sound mind. Because if God gave you sound mind, then that means the moment that your mind becomes unsound, you have lost what God gave you. But if he gave you a spirit of sound mind, then the moment your mind becomes unsound, you just know that the spirit of sound mind is no longer sitting on that throne. And you put him back on that throne. A sound mind flows from the spirit of sound mind. Self-control flows from the spirit of self-control. If you want to experience self-control, that spirit of self-control has to be sitting on that throne. Praise the Lord. I'll bring it up again. Self-control, the extent to which you'll be able to exercise self-control depends directly on the knowledge, the extent to which you know God, are aware of what he's doing, can perceive what he's saying, what he's doing. And obviously, if you trace everything back, it's all on faith. And love is on the top. And after love, once you're made perfect in love, there's nothing more. There is nothing to add to love. You're perfect. There is nothing to add to love. But that's, again, eight gates, people. Um, be careful who you ally with. Praise the Lord. Be careful who you ally with. I already mentioned this. The devil uses people to plant thoughts directly into you by what they say or to prime your mind to accept, so he's planning men. I'm going to plant this thought directly into his mind, but let me prime his mind to be able to receive that thought, more, to be more welcoming of that thought. So he trigger somebody close to you to do something out of nowhere. Your coworker is, is handing in, is not being cooperative at work. He, 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 causes, he causes people to do things that will prime your mind so that when he eventually comes to to plant that thought, to speak to you, you're more receiving of what he is saying. Anxiety preys heavily on those who are lacking in the manifestation of the heavenly reality called self-control. You know, you know what you know what praise means? It means that you see, when a hunter hunts, after hunting many a lot of game you start to identify which ones are easiest. You understand what I'm saying? You start to identify which ones are easiest. The spirit of fear, the people who don't, they are deficient in the manifestation of self-control, they are the easiest target for the spirit of fear. That's why the spirit of fear constantly goes to torment them. Not that he doesn't go to other people, but primarily, People who lack self-control go through a lot of anxiety. They are easy prey. Easy prey. Praise the Lord. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4. 
But even if our gospel, the glad tidings, also be hidden, obscured, and covered up with a veil that hinders the knowledge of God, it is hidden only to those who are perishing and obscured only to those who are spiritually dying and veiled only to those who are lost. Next verse. For the, for the God of this world has blinded the unbeliever's mind that they should not be able to discern the truth. So out of the multitude of thoughts coming to your mind, thoughts coming from your friends, from the devil, from your flesh, and from the spirit of God, you need to be able to discern, recognize which one is coming from God and shut the rest down. But when the devil has blinded your mind, you can't do this. You can't. You can't do it. You can't recognize which one is coming from God. Why am I bringing this up? Because now if you go to 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 17, it says, don't continue to team up with unbelievers in mismatched alliances. For God's sake, what partnership is there between righteousness and rebellion? Somebody who is rebelling against what God is doing, somebody who is rebelling against what God has said, why are you teaming up with them? Why are you giving them the time of the day? Cut them off until they are willing to come to the right side. Cut them off. They are rebelling. Why do you cut them off? Because the devil will plant thoughts in your mind directly from what they say or he will use them to prime your mind to accept his lies. That's why you cut them off. You sever that cord. When you're ready to stop rebelling against God, come talk to me. God has told you something. Somebody else is saying contrary. You're still hanging out with them. Why? Why? Why are you exposing yourself to that channel through which the devil can be priming your mind? Jesus did this. Once people didn't believe him, he kicked them out of the room. Till the word of God manifested the reason why it was sent. He'll kick them out the room. Like, I'm out here trying to, God has said something, I'm, I'm doing it, and you're out here not believing. Go chill outside. Don't play games with people who, Christian or not Christian, somebody who in that moment is rebelling against God. Please, don't play games with such people. They are all part of the game. Praise the Lord. If you're in a place of anxiety, constant mental torment, This one was a direct word that God gave me for you. Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing, but be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. In summary, cast your burdens on God. But a lot of times we think that the act of casting your burden on God is, 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 a, is a cool, calm process where you just in a very mature way say, God, 
man, this thing is bothering me, but God, you're on the throne. I'm casting it on you. And then you're done. No. A lot of times, casting your burden on God requires you to go on your knees. And there's a version that says prayer and supplication. You know what supplicate means? Humbly, earnestly begging, groaning, moaning, pour, like pouring out that burden. Because that burden is not in your, when you see, when the Bible talks about burden, it's not in your hand and you're holding it. It's inside you. You have to squeeze it out. You have to squeeze it out. You have to pour it out. A lot of times it takes going on your knees and groaning. Groaning out that burden till there's nothing left to pour. Till there's nothing left in you to pour. You cry out to God. And then with gratitude. When there's, see, this thing might not be able to be done in one stretch. It might take multiple days of groaning. Of going before God on your knees and earnestly, earnestly asking him. Jesus did it. He, he wept. He prayed till his sweat was like what? He groaned. He groaned till there was nothing left. Remember, he prayed, then he stopped. And then he went back. There was still more. He prayed, then he stopped. And he went back. There was still more. And only when he had completely emptied himself of that, strength came. Sometimes casting your burden on God requires that. Praise the Lord. Then you thank God. Father, I thank you that I can always come to you. Sorry I look like a mess. But thank you that I can look this way before you. Thank you because I know you feel my pain and understand my humanity. Thank you because my victory is assured. If this burden never comes back, by the way, I want to apologize in advance because I will be back here. Thank you for offering to carry my burdens. You thank him. And if the burden rises again, go back on your knees. Go back and groan again. Squeeze it out. Pour it out before him. Praise the Lord. We can't play games with when it comes to thoughts. Thoughts come from spirits. They come from places. Unseen people. They are using people. They are either planting thoughts directly into your mind. But before they plant the thoughts in your mind, they have already been priming you to receive that thought. Or they use people to just say to you. You can't lose this game of thrones. Because whoever sits on the throne of your mind controls your life and your destiny. You have to be able to perceive what God is doing, what he is saying. And to do that, the way you think has to change. You have to think on the word of God long enough for the way you think to actually change. Which is why you don't wait for challenges. 
constantly on a daily. You constantly fight. There's a scripture that says, I constantly buffet my body, exercising self-control. And you will overcome because Jesus will be the one ruling on the throne of your mind. Praise the Lord. of the Living Word Church members. And for those of you who are live streaming, welcome and thank you for worshiping with us today. Please join us again next Sunday by visiting live.ftlw.org. You can also visit our YouTube page to live stream our sermons or to catch up on sermons that you may have missed. You can find us on YouTube by searching Fountain of the Living Word Church or FTLW Church. On Sunday, service starts at 10.30 a.m., but due to the procedures that are set up, those attending in-person church service should arrive at 10 a.m. In order to attend in-person church service, you must sign up by going to the church website. On Wednesdays, we hold our believers meetings at 7.30 p.m. via Zoom. You can join us by entering meeting ID 9626-974-5329 on Zoom. The passcode is 214-760. On Thursdays, we live stream our Bible study service at 7.30 p.m. Join us by visiting live.ftlw.org or you can visit our YouTube page. If you have any questions on any of our teachings, kindly email your questions to pro at ftlw.org. You can also log on to our website, look for the chat icon at the bottom right of our website, click and post any questions on our teachings that you may have, and they will be addressed at the earliest opportunity. Please note that only questions on our teachings can be submitted and names are not required. If you gave your life to our Lord Jesus Christ during today's live broadcast or any of our recent live broadcasts, we are excited with you. The Bible says that the angels of the Lord rejoice when one sinner repents. Please call us at 973-675-6558 because we would love to hear from you. Also, if you need more information on how to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or if you just need someone to pray with you, please call us and we will be glad to help. Finally, if you're watching this video on YouTube and were blessed by this teaching, don't forget to click the like button below, subscribe to our channel, and share with a friend. Thank you. On behalf of Fountain of the Living Word Church, thank you and have a blessed week. Shall we all stand? Let me dismiss us all. And I want you to take these prayers, all these words very seriously because blessings come through words. Words carry life. Words carry blessings, especially if it's off the scriptures. So I want you to listen to this and then agree with me and receive these blessings. Now may the God who brought us peace by raising from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ so that he would be the great shepherd of his flock and by the power of the blood of the eternal covenant, may he walk perfection into every part of you, giving you all that you need to fulfill your destiny. Can I hear amen? amen. And may he express throughout, through you 
all that is excellent and pleasing to him through your life union with Jesus Christ, the anointed one, who, who is to receive the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and may he be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Surely now. Thank you. God bless you.